Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they do a great job. Give them a call. You can visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about voting rights. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is September the 22nd. It's the autumnal equinox. And on this day in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln issued a uh, preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, which set a date for the freedom of more than 3 million enslaved United States and recast the Civil War as a fight against slavery. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, shortly after Lincoln's inauguration as America's 16th president, he maintained that the war was about restoring the Union and not about slavery. He avoided issue as anti-slavery proclamation immediately, despite the urgings of abolitionists and radical Republicans, as well as his personal belief that slavery was morally repugnant. Instead, Lincoln chose to move cautiously against uh, until he could gain wide support for the public for his uh, such a measure. In July 1862, Lincoln informed his cabinet that he would issue an Emancipation Proclamation, but it would exempt the so-called border states which had slaveholders but remained loyal to the Union. His cabinet persuaded him not to make the announcement until after a Union victory. Lincoln's opportunity came following the Union win at the Battle of Antietam, the bloodiest battle ever in the history of uh, the United States, in September 1862. On September 22nd, the president announced the enslaved people in areas such as rebellion uh, with 100 days would be free, still in the rebellion would still be, would be free, <clears throat> on January the 1st, 1863, Lincoln issued the final Emancipation Proclamation, which declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebel states are and henceforth shall be free. The proclamation also called for the recruitment and establishment of black military units among the Union forces. An estimated 180,000 African Americans went on to serve in the Army, while another 18,000 served in the Navy. After the Emancipation Proclamation, back in the Confederacy was seen as a Favoring slavery, it became impossible for anti-slavery nations such as Great Britain and France, who had been friendly to the Confederacy, to get involved on behalf of the South. The proclamation also unified and strengthened Lincoln's party, the Republicans helping them stay in power for the next two decades. The proclamation was a presidential order and not a law passed by Congress, so Lincoln then pushed for an anti-slavery amendment to the United States Constitution to ensure its permanence. With the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865, slavery was eliminated throughout America, although blacks would face another century, of course, of struggle before they truly began to gain equal rights. Lincoln's handwritten draft of the final Emancipation Proclamation was destroyed in a Chicago fire of 1871. I think that was the one where the cow kicked over the bucket or the lamp and started the fire. Anyhow, 
Today, the original official version of the document is housed at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. A little update on what's happening in Collier County. The Collier County School District maintained its A- rating in 2021 despite complications brought on by the COVID pandemic. That, according to data released by the State Department of Education, only about 11 school districts out of 67 requested the grade. Collier County was one of those and got an A-. Uh, we'll mention that sometimes that's in dispute with uh, reading levels and uh, math competence among kids in schools, but nevertheless, they get an A minus. By the way, in the paper today, no mention of COVID in the Naples Daily News. I think that's a sign that things are improving because there's nothing bad to write about with regard to COVID. Things must be on on the improving uh, side. Well, amid the looming deadlines, the U.S. House passed legislation on Tuesday that will prevent a government shutdown and suspend the debt limit beyond the, uh, the month. <clears throat> now, this is, uh, of course, not final. This is the House of Representatives, not the Senate. Passing along party lines with a vote of 220 to 211, the bill, which sparked outrage among Republicans for removing a provision to provide $1 billion in funds for Israel's Iron Dome defense, is expected to face heavy opposition in the Senate, where at least 10 Republicans are needed to side with the Democrats and vote yes, according to The Hill. <clears throat> the Hill went on. Nearly every Republican senator has said they will oppose a debt limit suspension, arguing that Democrats should instead act on their own through the budget reconciliation process that can circumvent a filibuster and is being used for the $3.5 trillion social spending package. So in other words, it's either or, according to the parliamentarian, and they're choosing the $3.5 trillion social spending package. Democrats are nonetheless attached to the debt limit suspension through December the 16th, <clears throat> uh, 2022, and to a must-bill pass bill to avoid a government shutdown on October the 1st. <clears throat> Excuse me, please. A House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer called upon the Republicans to be consistent and help to spare the American people an economic crisis. I hope, he said, Republicans will be consistent and do what they did before, vote to prevent a default, and spare the American people from yet another damaging economic crisis right as we are coming out of the pandemic, he said. This is not a Democrat debt. It's not a Republican debt. <clears throat> it's our debt. <clears throat> it's the debt of the United States of America. We don't welsh on our debts. We pay our debts, he added. House Minority Leader Steve Scalise countered by saying the bill will not become law and advised Democrats to go back to the drawing board. Good for you, Steve. The bill that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is bringing through the week this week will not become law. There's going to have to be uh, going back to the drawing board, said Scalise. According to CNN, Congress may only have until midnight, mid-October, to act before the federal government. Uh, can no longer pay its bills. The passage of the bill follows an integral struggle or internal struggle among Democrats on Tuesday when party leftists objected to the provision that would have allotted out of $1 billion to fund Israel's Iron Dome defense system. Since the party could only afford three defections, the provision was ultimately removed, prompting outrage from Republicans and moderate Democrats. Steny Hoyer has promised to provide a separate bill Firing, uh, f uh, funding the Iron Dome system. The United States must fully live up to its our commitments to our friends and allies. Uh, at Israel said uh, House Appropriations Committee Chairwoman Rosa DeLauro. 
I'm outraged and dismayed that some of my colleagues object to helping Israel defend itself from rocket attacks by Hamas and Hezbollah terrorists, said Representative Stephanie Murphy. Murphy, America must support our ally, Israel. Well, of course, this is uh, the squad that's uh, created this dilemma for Nancy Pelosi. And it's just an outrage they'll consider just uh, reneging on the obligation we have now to Israel to uh, help fund the Iron Dome. I'm not a big fan of uh, foreign aid, but irrespective, this is a commitment we made and we have to honor it. Members of the White House press pool lodged a complaint with the White House on Tuesday after aides hurried them out of the Oval Office moments after British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who he was visiting with, and President Joe Biden appeared to take questions from the American reporters. Moments after the meeting with Johnson and Biden abruptly ended, it appeared that Johnson was about to ask, are there any questions, when a group of White House aides formed a blockade between the leaders and the journalists. Thank you, thank you, one aide shouted as the reporters were rushed out of the Oval Office and onto the White House lawn where the confused Johnson and Biden watched the scene unfold. According to a tweet from the White House Correspondents Association, Steve Portnoy, before the scene broke out, Boris Johnson recognized two British reporters for questions. Joe Biden then signaled it was time for the press to leave without taking any questions from his own press corps while being ushered out. But one reporter said, that's absurd. Two British reporters get questions and we don't get anything. <laughs> before the press conference ended, according to The Hill, the two leaders discussed cooperation on Afghanistan and climate change. It makes clear the climate has to be the core area of action for all of us, Biden stated. Johnson responded, the most important thing today has been your speech, Joe, to the United Nations General Assembly, where you made a commitment to supporting the world to adopt, adapt a climate change, doubling the American commitment. That's very important to us, said Boris Johnson. So the press corps now is fed up with Joe Biden. He's not answering questions. He's not taking questions. Uh, do you miss Donald Trump yet? I suspect you do. While President Joe Biden's poll numbers in Iowa have plummeted in recent months, and nearly two-thirds of residents now disapprove of his job performance, according to a recent poll. In Des Moines, Iowa, the uh, poll released Tuesday, 62% of respondents said they disapprove of Biden's job performance compared to just 31% who said they approve of the job he's doing. Poll numbers indicate the president's approval rating among Iowans has been dropping sharply since June. An earlier poll conducted in June found that Biden's approval rating among Iowans was 43%, with a slight majority of 52% saying they disapprove of his performance. Pretty amazing stuff if this is kind of a canary in the coal mine for how people are feeling across the nation. Uh, Biden's, uh, our, Biden's polls are crating, cratering, and of course that just correlates with the influence he has over Americans. No, he wasn't properly elected anyhow, and that'll all come out after these uh, forensic audits are completed. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He's a constitutional scholar, a chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app at the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, as I mentioned before the break. Bob is a constitutional scholar and author, and he's also the chairman of a terrific not-for-profit, uh, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about voting rights, and I'd like to pick up where we left off last week. Could you tell us more about the controversial Georgia bill? Yeah. Joe Biden uh, describes this bill as un-American, sick, worse than Jim Crow. But when you take a look at the provisions, I think it's a slightly different story. First, Sunday voting stays. That's hardly Jim Crow. Uh, Saturday is actually added to early voting. <clears throat> early voting starts on October 12th. It starts on October 24th in New York. Nobody seems to be worried about that. No excuse absentee ballots are okay in Georgia, even though more than 12 states require a valid excuse, including Biden's home state of Delaware. Mm. Uh, 
there's no more mail-in signature matching, but that was error-prone and time-consuming. And instead, voters can now use state ID numbers, which is convenient. The voter IDs are issued free of charge. It is true that absentee ballots have to be requested 11 days in advance instead of four, but the post office actually recommends 15 days in advance, so that's an improvement over the post office schedule. And it is true that drop boxes are limited, but bear in mind that 2020 was the first year uh, for drop boxes in Georgia, and that was because of COVID. So going forward, it's going to be less restricted than, uh, than all the years through 2019. And if the pre-COVID rules were worse than Jim Crow, why was there no complaint uh, from the Democrats until until now? And then finally, there's been much made about the fact that water can't be served to voters waiting in line. But, but you know, that's a lot of hand wringing. But bear in mind that the idea is to prevent electioneering at the polls. Right. And by the way, voters can still help themselves to water from unattended receptacles, which Georgia has agreed to provide. So my sense is that these restrictions are much less onerous than the outcry uh, suggests. Or as perhaps <clears throat> moving the uh, All-Star game from uh, Atlanta to Denver certainly wasn't warranted based on the just the inflammatory language. Right. So on right. ballots, are voting rules too restrictive or is election fraud a major concern? Well, frankly, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy going on on both sides. You know, if Iowa is one state where they say it's too restrictive, but if the polling hours and the early voting uh, there is evidence of voter suppression, uh, then why don't they change the regs in in D.C., Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, New York, Wisconsin, about 15 other states, all of which have shorter hours Hmm. than Iowa. In Arizona, you can vote early in person. You can request a no-excuse absentee ballot. Drop off your ballot through it. A drive-in, uh, but by comparison, neither Connecticut nor Delaware allows uh, early in-person voting, and both states require bureaucrats to approve uh, the reason for your absentee ballot. So, you know, it seems like the liberals are sometimes silent about practices in blue states that they condemn in the in the red states. And mm-hmm. as you point out, there are a lot of corporations who have, are newly woke, and they've uh, boycotting states because of voter restrictions. Uh, these guys are just politicizing business decisions. It's, a, I think, a thinly veiled attempt to appease certain constituencies. And the, the same corporations, you know, that that are going to boycott businesses in the United States continue to do business in Cuba yeah. and China, uh, which has uh, enslaved the minorities and crushed uh, democracy in, in, in Hong Kong. So all of that said, I mean, on the other side, there's some Republican-run states and Democrat-run states, both of them, that are more than willing to alter the uh, voting rules, and they have a primary objective of winning elections. I mean, this is all about power politics. Uh, That's the name of the game. So there are some unproven assertions of election fraud that are a pretext for voter restrictions. There's some limits on voting that are justified in order to ensure election integrity. Uh, So the trick here is to find the right balance. So don't you think a balanced approach has to include restrictions on mail-in ballots? You know, these ballots come with identifiers that are unique to each voter, and each jurisdiction uses 
different paper types and different envelope widths and other uh, ballot characteristics to distinguish them. The signatures on the ballots are matched to uh, pre-existing government records. The uh, election offices keep track of how many ballots they send out and how many get returned and, and by whom. Two-thirds of the states allow people to vote absentee for any reason. Uh, five of them conduct elections entirely by mail. Huh. And there's no indication that they've experienced widespread uh, mail-in ballot fraud. So I think, again, that concern is a bit overblown. Well, I'd say that uh, Linda and I both vote by mail, and uh, we do it because there's certain things that come up on the ballot we hadn't anticipated. It gives us a chance to do some research, so we really like that. And I, my guess is there's uh, Florida has some of the best uh, voting integrity of any state in the union, so uh, we've come a long way since uh, hanging chads. Yeah. So uh, how about the Texas bill? It's generated a lot of pushback. Does it go too far towards restricting voting? Well, you know, it rolls back some of the COVID uh, <clears throat> provisions like drive-through and 24-hour voting. But, you know, it, it's really not a deprivation of voting rights to curtail voting at 3 a.m. Yeah. Uh, or, or to retain these pre-COVID uh, rules. And, you know, if it is a deprivation, why is... Why there's been no objection until now? I mean, this it is true that the Sunday polls may not open in Texas until 1 p.m. That probably discriminates against black uh, churchgoers and ought to be, I think, uh, ought to be altered. But you know, there's two weeks of early voting. Delaware doesn't have any early voting until 2022, and then it then it has 10 days. Mm-hmm. So if it's good for Delaware, it's why isn't it good for Texas? There's increased poll hours, a minimum 12 hours on weekdays, five hours on Sundays. Uh, again, you use IDs for mail-in ballots, which is convenient. Uh, the courts can reject election outcome if there's evidence of uh, illegal votes. Um, well, you know, it's by a preponderance of the evidence instead of clear and convincing. So that's, I, I think, a technical revision that one can debate. There's no vote harvesting for compensation. So, you know, the bill isn't perfect in Texas, but it's hard to take seriously. Uh, The president's claims that the Texas bill is, this is a a quote, he says, it's an assault on democracy, the greatest crisis since the Civil War. Mm. I mean, give me a break. (laughs) And not to mention the border. So H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, it's also pending in the House, supposedly to overturn the Supreme Court's 2013 decision in Shelby County versus Holder. Is this legislation necessary? You know, what the issue in Shelby was whether the Voting Rights Act requires states with a history of discrimination to obtain clearance from the Justice Department or a court before changing the voting procedures. And Roberts held 5-4 that that section requiring preclearance is unconstitutional. Why? Because it was based on a formula uh, that uh, that looked at the voter turnout in 1964, 68, and 72, mm-hmm. and the court held that the formula was obsolete. Now, it didn't alter Section 5, so you can still have preclearance, but Congress was told if you want to have preclearance, you're going to have to update the formula. Uh, the Voting Rights Act can still be invoked to redress any equal protection of violations. And, and Roberts pointed out, and this is important, he said black voter registration before the Voting Rights Act was 6.4% in Mississippi. By 2004, 
It was 76.1% higher than among whites in Mississippi. And black turnout in the most recent election exceeded white voter turnout in five of the six states that were originally covered by the preclearance uh, provision. So Shelby County, in my view, was correctly resolved. And it is true that if it wants to be invoked once again, the formula has to be changed. And that's what the John Lewis Voting Rights Act purports to do. Mm, so interesting. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I really appreciate your comments here on voting rights. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, Bob. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, did you see uh, the uh, Biden's UN address? 
Uh, yes, yes, I did. I, I forced myself into that process. I think it's a requirement as a citizen. Uh, let me start out with some good news. Uh, it's not dramatic, but I think it may turn into something. Uh, uh, finally, John Durham has come out with a significant indictment. Uh, 27 uh, attorney Michael Sussman uh, from Perkins Coy, and uh, <clears throat> it looks like it's going to have some extended legs here uh, that may uh, expand into uh, the Democrat Party. I think that's fairly obvious. Uh, and it even has, if we go back far enough, the potential to expose the uh, potential now falsification of, of Barack Obama's birth certificates. Now, I, I don't want to get into a birther discussion, but <clears throat> that was all part of that, that law firm's process. So uh, that's good news that Durham is finally getting around to uh, re revealing some of the work he's been doing for the past two years. That is good news, and uh, usually the first indictment leads to others, and uh, you know the whole notion of singing and getting plea deals and that kind of thing can lead to bigger fish to fry. Well, I hope, and I think it'll probably rest to a large extent on the in the hands of the grand jury that will eventually been uh, be hearing this, uh, and whether or not they take it not only seriously but uh, with the, the the gravitas that it deserves. So. You know, we'll have to see. But again, anything uh, forward from the Durham process, I think, is uh, has to be seen as a as a as a positive at this point, Bob. Yeah. Uh, get, getting back to uh, to Biden at the United Nations, it it, it highlights to me, and I'm going to use some fairly dramatic language today, just to emphasize, I think, the importance of the situations. I think America has become one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Uh, a case can be made that the most dangerous at this moment. Of course, it's hard to eliminate China from that from that sentence. But uh, if we look at uh, Biden's remarks there, uh, the the amount of distortions uh, in his remarks, uh, the the fact that America is uh, is essentially a spearhe spearheading a uh, an o dramatic overreaction to uh, to the climate change issue, and of course, uh, giving a lot of heavy weight to mandates as it pertains to the uh, and I regard it as again hyperbolic reaction to the COVID uh, process. Uh, I think we're looking at an America that. Uh, is, in fact, uh, a dangerous influence, uh, certainly a strong influence because of our culture and our finances uh, on the world community. So uh, as I listened to Biden talk, I, I could uh, not escape from that feeling that yeah. the American government, the federal level now, uh, has in fact become an extremely dangerous source of influence uh, for the entire world community. If we look uh, simply at the climate change issue, uh, and if we look at that, now China has made a, a commitment to withdraw from coal burning plants in Africa. Uh, we have to wait to see if that if that will happen. But if not coal burning, they will be uh, uh, gas burning uh, plants. There's no doubt. Uh, and if we look at uh, India, for example, India uh, needs coal burning plants to sustain a, uh, a population that's uh, 300 million plus in poverty. And they can't afford the intermittent uh, uh, process of renewable energy. Uh, so if we look at China itself, 58% of its energy is produced by coal-burning plants. In 2020, Bob, they had a 4% uh, a total increase in carbon output. Uh, they they uh, account for 28% of the world's total output of, of carbon. So even if we accept the extreme version of the potentials of what climate change offer. And I do not, by the way. I, 
I, I think it's an issue that needs to be given attention to, but it's not in the catastrophic area. Andy, we're, did, are you still speaking, Andy? Uh, writing on this, so this is uh, an increasingly dangerous situation because of the impact it'll make on essentially on poverty-ridden areas of the world, Africa and India particularly. Yeah. Well, and more importantly, the, uh, apparently uh, in this Paris Accord, China doesn't have to do anything until the year in the 2030s sometime. So, in other words, this is just going to continue. And, and whatever changes we make will have absolutely uh, insignificant amount of uh, influence on what's happening in the world with regard to carbon dioxide. But the premise of the whole thing is totally false. I mean, carbon dioxide is plant food. It simply fuels the, the, the earth in terms of the process of photosynthesis and helps us be able to breathe in oxygen and for plants to be, be able to take in uh, carbon dioxide. Well, you know, your, your guest after me, typically Larry Bell, I mean, one of the, the world's uh, experts in this area. I am not. But again, I have had a, a deep investment in these in these topics. Uh, if we if we look at the the issue of, of warming when it's taken place over the last ten thousand years, almost every period of increased war warming, and this certainly preceded the industrial revolution. These periods of increased warming are always always coincided uh, with enhanced areas of of human well being. So uh, this is all just nonsense. I think we could see it already. Uh, seriously impacting on the United States with the uh, suppression of our ability to produce uh, oil products in, in this country. Uh, and I think these are these are serious issues, inflationary issues. These are power issues. These are uh, home warming issues, job issues, Bob. And uh, there's just no no real reason for any of this. So yeah. uh, it's as dangerous things that the United States is uh, is uh, supporting. Uh, it goes back to, in my estimation, Martin Luther's Martin Luther King's statement where he said, there's nothing more dangerous in the world than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And I think that's exactly <laughs> where we are right now uh, in terms of our federal government. Yeah, there's no question. I, I, my view of uh, Biden's speech was just so much pablum. I, he was just spooning out what he was expected to say. But you make good points. I mean, the fact of the matter is that uh, his commitments in that speech were just totally... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How about yeah, and if we look at our relationship with our allies, I know Boris Johnson met with uh, Biden at the White House uh, after the U.N. presentation yesterday. But, you know, the, the relations with the U.K. are strained. There's no doubt about it uh, to a large extent because of our precipitous withdrawal from Afghanistan without notifying our, our, our British ally. Uh, our relationship with uh, with France is seriously strained as France has uh, recalled its ambassador to the United States based on the what the France regards as the uh, clandestine stealing of the uh, the submarine deal with Australia, uh, and so there, there are. And how, how about how about uh, how about Israel and, and the Iron Dome, the withdrawal of funds and support for uh, a commitment that we had? I mean, it seems like we're taking our, our closest allies and and uh, in many ways simply uh, contaminating the relationships. Well, there's no doubt the squad in Congress has uh, tried seriously to remove a billion dollars from the Iron Dome, Iron Dome funding. Now, there is some pushback on that, and I, yeah. uh, I doubt that funding will be removed. But uh, I think we can see that there is uh, pressures right now in the, in the federal government to, in fact, as you're describing it, Bob, damage uh, what I regard as our closest uh, ally, uh, and that is the state of Israel. Absolutely. 
So, uh, it's so interesting. Let's let's move on to what's happening with our military. Ah, <laughs> what what is there to be said? You know, the uh, we have a military that is certainly woke. We can see Millie, and uh, I think nothing more has to be said. Anyone who's been following Millie's actions and uh, his usurpation of uh, civilian control of the military, in my estimation. Uh, I think the the general weakening of this and uh, the comments that I've read and uh, my following of this of this issue says that, that we are somewhat equipped to handle local brush fire situations, but there is absolutely no way that this military can handle large scale military conflict. And I don't think this is escaping the the notice of of China uh, if they intend to uh, to do anything more dramatic in Taiwan. Uh, or in any place in the South China Sea, uh, I think they see us as a as a literal paper tiger at this point yeah. uh, in terms of the effectiveness or the willingness, perhaps both, of our military to take action in defense of, of, of our ally, again, an ally, Taiwan. Yeah, absolutely. And now, uh, I mean, we have so many problems domestically, it almost makes uh, international issues uh, an afterthought, as, as important as they are. But isn't it scary that the IRS is now be, want, proposing to monitor our bank transactions, anything over $600? I, I, you know, I have to believe it. I used to say things like it can't happen. I don't believe it. I, I no longer enter into that type of, of useless statement because at this point, Bob, everything is possible. And yes, I think the IRS, I think that the, uh, the increased funding for the IRS from the Biden administration, uh, I think the number I heard was they were going to add 70,000 new IRS agents to, uh, to monitor the American public. Uh, because, again, the Biden administration has a belief that the American public, in terms of filing their taxes, are liars, criminal liars. And therefore, they have to delve into uh, all bank accounts uh, and examine the transactions to try to recoup what the what the Biden administration sees as as lost revenue. So, uh, of course, that's going to expose the, the, the privacy of those bank accounts. Those bank accounts not only re reveal financial transactions, but the types of financial transactions, the, uh, the, the, the directions where these things go. This is all private information that the federal government has absolutely no right to access in terms of theoretically pursuing higher revenue, Bob. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, quite frankly, for tax cheats, if, if this is what it takes, I'm all for people paying the their, their rightful amount of taxes that are due according to the law. What concerns me is the weaponization of the IRS and having this information to use to uh, against political enemies. Well, we already saw that uh, back in the Obama administration with the lowest learner and the, uh, the suppression of, uh, of, of tax-free status for many conservative groups. So this is, has a history, certainly. Uh, I think it has a history actually going back into the, the, uh, the, the Hoover uh, uh, control process of the FBI. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is, this is a dangerous situation. Getting back to my earlier point about the danger of America worldwide, I think we see a, an emerging, uh, a very, very strong authoritarian, uh, I would almost use the word tyrannical American federal government, which gives, I think, strength and, and uh, uh, clarity uh, to other governments worldwide who are moving in the same direction. I think we can see some of that. 
uh, in Australia. We can see it in New Zealand. Uh, the autocracy level of governments across the world uh, is increasing dramatically, and I think that has been been spearheaded by the United States, Bob. I, I agree with that. Hey, let's turn our focus a little bit to uh, what's happening with the vaccines and with uh, the, the virus. And uh, it's just outrageous that the suppression of uh, ivermectin uh, is... Uh, is uh, going on right now, especially when it's been proven to have absolutely no downside and uh, any uh, possible upside for people that are uh, perhaps uh, suffering from the uh, virus. So uh, as I understand it, even if a doctor prescribes ivervectin, there are many pharmacy groups that are unwilling to fill the prescription. CVS and Walgreens being the two most prominent, obviously. <clears throat> right. Big, I think CVS and Walgreens fulfill something like 73% of all prescriptions in this country, and you cannot get ivermectin through either of those those channels. Yeah. Uh, if we look at <clears throat> ivermectin, I regard the suppression, and again, this will be strong language, Bob, but I regard the, the suppression of ivermectin either for uh, profit motive or for political motive to be essentially murder, Bob. Yeah. If I am withholding a drug that has proven itself to be effective, and proven itself to be safe by almost every measurement. If I am withholding that for political or profit reasons, and that is in, in fact increasing the, uh, the, the mortality rate for, for COVID, I think we're looking at something that can only be described as murder. If we look at India's um, a recent uh, circumstance with, with ivermectin, I have some numbers here in front of me. When India used ivermectin in, in, in Delhi, uh, they had 28,000 cases daily. Once ivermectin was used, the cases dropped to 956. Yep. Uh, in um, in uh, Karnataka, it went from 50,000 to 20,000. If we look at the areas of India where they did not use uh, ivermectin, uh, Tamil Nadu, it went from 10,000 to 30,000 upward. Right. In Odisha, from 4,000 to 7,000. So in every province of, of India where ivermectin was used, the cases dropped dramatically. In Delhi, the most, most dramatic, a 97% reduction in the case incident of COVID. Uh, if we look at Japan, Japan has given full uh, uh, authorization for the use of ivermectin, uh, very successfully being used in Japan. Uh, there is no reason at all, Bob, none. And I think if we look at this campaign where they, uh, they constantly highlight the people that are using uh, the animal dosage of this and it's causing damage and all of the hyperbolic uh, comments being authored by the federal government, yeah. and I'm sure sponsored by Big Farm, Bob, I you know, I, I have to include them in this equation. I, I think we're looking at a, an act that can only be, uh, at least ethically, defined as murder, Bob. Absolutely. Well, I, I would suppose that on a, on a parallel level, what's happening with monoclonal uh, antibodies in Florida, the uh, President of the United States is limiting by half the supply that has proven to be ex extremely successful in terms of uh, reducing uh, the symptoms for the virus as well as the hospitalization. I just can't believe that that is, quite frankly, an act of murder as well. I would certainly agree with that. If we look at the, the, uh, the seven red states in the south where the supplies have been uh, fairly dramatically reduced, 
those are, as I just said, those are red states. You know, you would hate to think that the federal government is reducing a life-saving product uh, merely for uh, political, let's call it, revenge in this particular case. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, monoclonal reduction, uh, ivermectin reduction, we can get back to hydroxychloroquine, and we can see that there we could have had dramatic positive impact on this process. Uh, in the meantime, we promote masks, which uh, by most scientific evaluations uh, do no good and in many cases do a lot of harm. So we turn away from safe products, therapeutic products that would deal with, uh, with a, a safe way of controlling or minimizing the, the actual impact of COVID. Uh, and we turn to uh, essentially experimental vaccines uh, with the long-term implication of these being unknown. What we do know about the vaccines is they have a limited period of effectiveness. Now, they're talking about a third dose or a, a booster dose, which are apparently a different phenomenon with the potential for almost a lifelong need uh, to keep updating the doses for the COVID variants that are, uh, that are coming out. This is, uh, and by the way, let me just extend this into a further statement. Uh, as I mentioned uh, on your show before, I think we're going to see this deepening as we get closer to the 2020 elections. Those elections will be controlled by the theoretic threat uh, of COVID, of, of the COVID problem. And I think you'll see the same uh, illegalities, fraudulent process that will be in place in 2022 that we saw in 2020. And I think this is all uh, being fostered to the largest extent, at least, because of that upcoming election next year, Bob. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I, I'd like to think that uh, that with the laws that have been passed in many states and with the awareness now what can go wrong, that that won't happen. But you're right. I mean, that's a real concern. I mean, I personally th see right now with everything that's going on in the federal government, I'm so grateful that we have our governor. It seems that this state is a shield, it's a firewall against government intrusion in our lives. Well, which gets me to my, my I guess, my last point of, of today's uh, interaction, Bob, is I think, again, using strong language, I think the federal government has fallen. I think that America at that level has fallen. Now, if we look at federalism, federalism was the shared power between the federal government and the states, but the states are strong. If we look at the nature of where America exists right now, it exists at the state level. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Republicans control a majority of uh, the state houses with the executive. They control a, a vast majority of just the legislative bodies, and the population numbers in those areas are enormous in favor of the Republicans. So what I advocate for, because I don't see any other real answer, is for the states to invoke the, uh, the original concept of federalism, gain control over uh, the constitutional interpretations, I believe, and this is debatable, but I believe the concept of nullification uh, is legal. I think it's constitutional. In nullification, the states can declare null and void any law that they see coming out of the federal government that is unconstitutional. Right now, I think there are a vast number that could be nullified by the states. And I think that if there's an answer for America, it will be at the state level spearheaded by states like Florida and strong, meaningful governors uh, like Ron DeSantis. Yeah, well, well said, Andy. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Always wish we had more time, Andy, but uh, really appreciate your contribution to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Time goes too fast, Bob. It certainly does. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andy.
All right, coming up, Professor Larry Bell. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I served as board chairman for 15 years, so proud of what's been accomplished in that period of time, and now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center. Beautiful design in downtown Naples, and you can find out more and get tickets for upcoming events. Again, golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Professor Bell wasn't available. I hope he's okay, but we do have a lot to talk about. We didn't talk about earlier. A body found in the U.S. National Park in Wyoming was identified as Gabby Petito, the 22-year-old van life traveler who was missing during a road trip with her fiancé. This, according to the FBI, the confirmation that coroner uh, has ruled the death a homicide. It's the latest turn in the story that has gripped America since Petito's family reported her missing on September 11th, 10 days after her fiancé, Brian Laundry, uh, returned home from a cross-country trip without her. Teton uh, County Coroner Dr. Brent Blue confirmed the remains of those of Gabrielle Verona Petito, uh, date of birth, March 19, 1999, the Denver office of the FBI said in a written statement. 
Broner's Blue's initial determination for the manner of death is homicide. The cause of death remains pending finding final autopsy, autopsy uh, results, the FBI said. Patino's body was discovered on Sunday in a remote area of Bridger Teton National Park in Wyoming, less than 1,000 feet from where a pair of travel uh, bloggers filmed what appears to be the couple's white van parked along a dirt road near the Spread Creek Dispersed Camping Area on the evening of September 27th. What a small world, huh, to be able to find it. This park is huge, and to be able to find the body that quickly is unbelievable. The FBI and our partners remain dedicated to ensuring anyone responsible or complicit in Ms. Petito's death is held accountable for their actions. That, according to FBI, Denver Special Agent Charles Michael Schneider said in a statement. Uh, Laundry uh, returned home on, to Northport, Florida, alone in the VAM on September the 1st, 10 days after members of Petito's family reported her missing. Before uh, disappearing, Laundry uh, refused to speak with investigators and retained a lawyer. That's pretty suspicious, huh? Well, his parents, Laundry's parents, told FBI agents they saw him a week ago when he tur- told them he was planning a hike along the nearby 24,000-acre Carlton Reserve Wilderness Area. Northport police said they learned from Laundry's family only on Friday that he'd been missing for three days. Uh, police and FBI agents resumed their search of the Swampy Reserve on Tuesday using helicopters and all-terrain vehicles. Petito and Laundry left her home uh, state of New York in late uh, June or early July, heading west to her white van with pl- uh, in her white van with plans to visit U.S. national parks and document the trip on social media. Witness last saw Petito on August the 24th when she said left a Salt City, Salt City uh, Lake City Hotel. She posted her final photo of the trip on social media the next day. Her family believes she was headed to Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming when they last heard from her. Investigators spent much of Monday searching for Laundry's uh, family home. They were seen loading cardboard boxes into vans and towing away a silver must, a Ford Mustang. In seeking research results, uh, investigators have uh, cited uh, August 27th text purportedly sent by Petito to her mother, Nicole Schmidt, who describes getting a repeated call and voice messages from Stan, Petito's grandfather. Schmidt told investigators the message was odd because the young woman never usually referred to her aunt- grandfather by his first name. Petito's family had said the uh, second text message was also seen as suspicious. Last week, the police in Moab, Utah, released body camera footage of an August 12th encounter with two of their officers had with Petito and Laundry during a traffic stop. Petito sobs in a video, and she describes a quarrel with Laundry, and she says became physical at times. The officer did not detain the couple, but insisted they spend the night separately, Petito in the van and Laundry at a hotel. Quite certain this is going to take a while to unfold. Uh, there's a lot of suspicious elements to this. Certainly, uh, Petito, or Laundry at this point, is the only person of interest, and uh, they, he is missing, so they're going to be trying to find him in this uh, huge park uh, on, uh, as he went out for a hike. <clears throat> but all the evidence, I think, points to the fact that, uh, well, the, the, there's evidence that he was abusing her in the van and uh, that uh, perhaps this, uh, this whole thing elevated into what is now termed as a murder it's just so sad something like this could happen but uh now the the parents have been uh, clammed up they haven't talked too much and i'm talking about laundry's parents so 
So we'll see how this all turns out. But a very sad story indeed. So uh, grateful, really, that the FBI were able to locate the body. Well, a CEO of a Texas uh, hospital is cautioning that his facility is facing possible closure following President Biden's announcement last week that healthcare workers will be required to receive the COVID-19 vaccination. If the mandate takes effect, the Brownfield Regional Medical Center will likely lose 20 to 25% of its staff, that according to the uh, CEO. While at these employees, the hospital will likely shut down. The Biden administration has ordered that healthcare workers who staff hospitals and facilities that receive either Medicaid or Medicare funding must receive vaccine or lose federal funding. It's huge in our rural community that all the other rural communities, uh, said Jasper. Now, we have uh, high poverty levels and stuff like that, so it's a lot of Medicaid usage in our communities, and so uh, it's a big problem. It's going to close down the hospital. In addition to the health care worker mandate, Biden also announced that he would direct the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to enforce the rule for companies that with more than 100 people that all employees get vaccinated, federal workers and contractors will also have to get the vaccine as well. Already in upstate New York, an official for a hospital said the facility is going to have to close down its maternity unit for the time because uh, so many employees resigned over Governor Cuomo's vaccine mandate. It, it's just so curious to me that so many uh, healthcare workers refuse to get vaccinated. What do they know that uh, we don't? Quite frankly, it's just a real question that I have. Uh, they seem reluctant to do that. I don't know if you've seen the Project Veritas video. It's a 10-minute video of a whistleblower who's a federal employee uh, uh, working in hospitals that uh, says that uh, the, the uh, vaccines are crap, <laughs> to use a word, and she also said that they're sweeping deaths that are caused by the vaccines under the quote-unquote mat. It's just very curious to me. Uh, why the big political push and the political uh, uh, support from the CDC and the FDA for what's going on right now. Why can't, uh, why doesn't the president just tell us the truth and allow Americans to make their own decisions with regard to the uh, vaccine? After all, uh, what we've learned is that those that have the vaccine and have had the vaccine apparently can still spread the virus, as can people that uh, haven't had the virus or haven't been vaccinated. So it makes no sense to, to number one, to uh, require the vaccines. But number two, it makes no sense to not provide the therapeutics that are, could be available, like ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine, and, of course, the uh, monoclonal antibodies, which are being provided here in Florida. Unbelievable. The uh, President of the United States has cut the uh, supply that are really saving lives and keeping people out of the hospital. He doesn't make very good decisions. He shouldn't be president of the United States. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw. He's the uh, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, our former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and Ann Shockett, she is the National Federation of uh, GOP Women, of uh, Republican Women. They're having a big meeting up in uh, in. Um, Orlando, and we'll find out about that as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.